On today's episode of Three Wide in the Middle, we're going to take a look at the NASCAR playoffs. That's right. Week one of the round of 16 is kicking off at Darlington's. We're going to take a look at that and who are the favorites going in. I'm probably going to be picking someone that nobody else is, but we'll take a look at that. And also, speaking of the favorite, we're going to take a look at Kyle Larson. I got to talk about Larson because he's had a phenomenal year and he's getting some comparisons made that I think are just flat out wrong. We're going to dive into that plus a whole lot more. So stick around. What's up, everybody? Thomas Brandon here, and welcome to Three Wide in the Middle, your home for all things racing news, whether it's dirt, oval, even sim. We take a look at it, basically whatever interests me when it comes to auto racing. And like I said, today we're going to be diving into the NASCAR playoffs because that is the big news. So last weekend, we wrapped up the regular season at Daytona, which was, as always, a crash fest. And Ryan Blaney actually got his second win of the season, I believe, and basically locked himself in he to the second position of the round of 16. So Blaney, a lot of people are questioning whether or not he is a Final Four contender, and I actually think that he is. I really am going to be keeping an eye on Blaney through the entire playoff because I don't think he's just a final four contender. I actually think he has a legitimate shot at the championship. But besides Blaney, all eyes have been on Kyle Larson. And we do this here in not just America, but in society as a whole. The only thing that we love more than building someone up is tearing them down. And then an awesome comeback story. And that is what we've seen with Kyle Larson. Now, I'm not going to get into what happened in his comeback and all that stuff like that. That stuff has already been covered at nauseum, and I have no desire to go over it. But the year that Kyle Larson has had, both in NASCAR and just in racing in general, is really that which most race car drivers could only dream of. Um, for a driver to start off the year in 2021, win the Chili Bowl, he wins the Kings Royal, he wins the Knoxville Nationals, he had five cup wins this season, and now he is the front runner for the Cup Series Championship. It's really been an unprecedented year when it comes to just racing as a whole. Now, it's really easy for us to get caught up in the glitz and glam of auto racing and look at things like NASCAR or F1, right? Or IndyCar, those types of things. And those are, for the most part, considered the pinnacle of auto racing. But for somebody who loves dirt racing, right? Just local dirt track racing as much as I do, World of Outlaws, USAC, that type of stuff. To see Larson not only dominate in cup, but also on the dirt has really been something special to watch. Now, a lot of people are actually saying that he is the next Tony Stewart. Now, I have heard this, and I've also heard that he is the next Jeff Gordon, which I actually 
think that is an insult to Kyle Larson's dirt driving skills. Jeff Gordon is one of the greatest cup drivers of all time. You know, dude won like 95, 95 or 96 wins. He all, he had almost 100 wins, which is really, really hard to do in cup racing. I don't think people realize how hard it is to win in, in cup. But he had over 90 wins. I know that it was mid-90s. He was a multiple-time champion. There for a while, he was considered to be the one that was going to dethrone Richard Petty and Dale Earnhardt for the most ever championships. Of course, that did not happen. But, I mean, Jeff Gordon is one of the greatest cup drivers of all time. On dirt, Jeff Gordon was phenomenal. But when Jeff Gordon made the switch over to cup, he basically stopped his dirt racing. He did not continue. It's not like Jeff Gordon was out there winning World of Outlaw races while he was also winning cup races. He wasn't doing that, okay? Even Tony Stewart, when Stewart moved over to cup, yes, he would still race in dirt and stuff like that, but Stewart wasn't out winning World of Outlaws races. Stewart has, like, what, two World of Outlaw wins? Like, it's not a lot, okay? Where Larson will have that in a weekend. So, Larson... To be compared to those guys, to be considered the next, I think is really a disservice. Now, understand, Larson's got a long ways to go before he comes close to what those guys did in the cup circuit, right? He really does. But if you are looking at it in terms of what he's done this year on dirt and the fact that he is multifaceted, to call him that, I think, really is a disservice. Tony Stewart himself said, dude, this kid's better than me. <laughs> He's way better than me. Larson at, I mean, just if you look at the stuff that that he has accomplished, right, that the kids, and I, I call him a kid, but he's, he's like 28 years old. But if you look at what he has accomplished, it's really unprecedented. First of all, his first time ever racing at Eldora, it was the Four Crown Nationals. Dude went out at 19 years old and swept the USAC events. Now, keep in mind, this had not been done since Jack Hewitt did it back in like 98. Now, Hewitt actually swept all four. He won the modified race as well, which has never been done. I mean, it's like he's the only one on that list to sweep all four of the four crown nationals. And understand, Jack Hewitt in the world of dirt racing, like Jack Hewitt's one of the, the handful of drivers that win when if he shows up to a dirt track, if he pulls into the pits, like the the broadcaster should come over the loudspeaker and say, "Everybody, Jack Hewitt!" Right? Like, I mean, like that—that's what they should do, ladies and gentlemen. Jack Hewitt's here. Like that's the type of welcome that he should get. Okay, he's he's that level. So for Larson to do something that had only been done by one of the best, you know, all around dirt drivers, you know, to ever step into you know, a pair of racing shoes and sit in a cockpit is incredible. But if you look at what he's done since then, it's been absolutely just insane. And I remember watching Kyle Larson as a kid. Now, Kyle Larson is actually, he grew up, you know, he's about 40 minutes from where I am, okay? Um, he's from Elk Grove, California. That is literally, like I said, it's about 40 minutes from where I grew up. Now, I didn't know Kyle Larson. I didn't spend a lot. I mean, he was a really little kid at the out, you know, at Cycleland Speedway when I was racing there. Um, you see him running around and stuff, but it's not like I was hanging out with him. I'm like 10 years older than him. So when he was first starting out, I was, you know, getting ready to graduate high school. But I could tell when I would watch him race, when he got up into the higher classes, you could see that there was something special. And it was the first time that I had seen that since I had seen that in Brad Sweet. Now, 
Brad Sweet, who's a two-time defending World of Outlaws champion, I also raised outlaw cards against, who also used to kick my butt as a little kid. But I remember the first time I seen what I will call it, right? That that level of talent where you see it and you're like, man, they've got something that nobody else has. The first time I ever saw that in a driver, in like up close and personal, was Brad Sweet. Brad Sweet was a little kid running in box docks. Now, if you don't know what a box dock is, it's basically just an outlaw cart with a five horsepower Briggs and Stratton engine. It's got some modifications to it, so it's got more than five horsepower, but that's basically what it is. And you drive them, even though they're on dirt, you're driving it like an asphalt car, okay? Even when the track is slick, you're just wide open, keeping it straight, you know, and you're you're swooping down on the corners like you would in, a, in an asphalt race, okay? And Brad Sweet was you know, winning all kinds of races in those. And everybody would, you know, a lot of people, because you get this in any sport, especially in auto racing, but you get this where people are like, well, he's only winning because he's got the best car and he's so small, right? Well, it, it didn't matter because one year, okay, after we had been going, Brad was running in the box stocks. Now, Brad has an older brother named Derek Sweet. Now, Derek actually was racing in the 125 class. Now, back then, there used to only be three classes. You had the box stocks, the 125s, and then you had the open class. So, you would go from a five-horsepower Briggs and Stratton uh, motor to like, uh, you know, back then, the 125s, you know, we're talking two-cycle motorcycle engines, right? Like a Yamaha YZ125 or a Honda CR125. And they'd have, I don't know, probably 30 you know, horsepower, 35 horsepower, somewhere right around there after we did a couple mods to them. And then you would go from that to the open outlaws, which were CR500cc motorcycle engines. These things were rocket ships on a power to weight ratio. They are comparable to a 410 wing sprint car. Now, keep in mind, they're not a 410 wing sprint car, but when you think about being only, you know, literally a four inches, five inches off the ground. Like you're just a few inches off the ground because your seat actually goes right below the chassis. And you're in this rigid frame with a 500cc motorcycle engine sitting literally right next to you. I mean, your arm basically rests on the cylinder. And these things fly. I mean, they are screaming fast. They will absolutely take your breath away. I mean, when you're... 15 years old, 16 years old. And I grew up on dirt bikes, motorcycles, and stuff like that. The first time that I floored it in an open outlaw, which was my first ever race, I, I didn't even do any other ones. I just went straight to the opens. Um, I, I couldn't believe it. It was insane. You feel like you're going 150 miles per hour because you're so low to the ground and there's no suspension. So the car's just shaking and vibrating. And it's an insane feeling. But those were the three classes we had. Now, Brad Street was in the box stocks. Well, something had happened to Derek and I don't know what, I can't remember. I remember, you know, Derek was closer to my age and Derek played high school football and stuff like that. He was really big into football. And I can't remember if he had gotten hurt or if he didn't want to get hurt, you know, in racing because he wanted to play football. I don't remember what it was, but all of a sudden one week we show up and now Brad is running in the 125 class. And he goes out and you would have thought that he had been racing that car for two years. He just goes, he went out and he was immediately one of the fastest cars. Like if he showed up, he was one of the cars to beat. He was contending for a win. It was that quick. And the first time I saw him race that 125, 
and I'll never forget it. It was a a replica of Jack Hodgenschild's famous Pennzoil number 22. And the first time I saw him race that car, I was like, this kid has something that nobody else does. Legit. Now, I know we love to play the results game here in America, right? Or in society where when we see something, we look, you know, something that is successful. We look back on it and we go, well, that's why when I saw that, right? Like people love to do that. I'm not doing that. Okay. I remember this to this day. It was one of the most incredible things I ever saw because back, Brad Sweet's not a big guy now, you know, as an, as an adult. Back then, dude, he, he couldn't have weighed more than 60 pounds. I mean, really, my son's eight years old. But Brad Sweet was about the size of my son back then. I mean, he was just so small. He looked like this little child and he had this unimaginable talent. It was just incredible. Now, Brad Sweet comes from a racing family. All right. The Tyners, which is his mom's side, if I'm remembering this correctly, um, I could be I could be getting this mixed up. But if I'm remembering this correctly, I know he's related to the Tyners. The Tyners are very big in sprint car racing out here on the West Coast and stuff like that. And Sweet was in a I think he went to the mini sprints, um, was racing a 600 within a couple of years. And then uh, obviously you see now he's uh, years later, he's a two time World of Outlaws champion and he's on track right now to win his third. Okay. And he's one of the best dirt drivers on the planet. Many will argue that it, right now, currently, Brad Sweet is the best sprint car driver in the world. Okay? That is no small feat. That is an incredible thing. And the only person that I have ever seen with more raw talent on the dirt, in, like up close and personal, than Brad Sweet was Kyle Larson. And it happened just a few years later. And that was what was so incredible about it. We had literally just had this phenomenal driver who had come through outlaw carts with us, right? And who's already going on to these bigger and better things while we're still just doing outlaw carts. And all of a sudden, here comes this other kid who is better. It was, it was incredible. When I saw Kyle Larson at like 12, just putting it on adults in the open class it was nuts and i'll never forget i had basically you know after high school and stuff i continued racing outlaw cards but i basically by like 21 22 at that time i'm you know i'm not doing the outlaw card stuff that much anymore if at all because now i'm doing real life sprint car stuff i'm on a team we're doing usac midgets and sprint cars and we're traveling all over and doing stuff like that so i wasn't Going back to the cart races and stuff like that, I wasn't seeing people that much anymore at the, you know, I would cycle in. And in the wintertime, I would go to Red Bluff for the indoor races. But for the most part, I was kind of detached from it. I was doing other stuff. Well, I'll never forget after, you know, being in racing and, and all this stuff like this. And keep in mind, I'm now working on a team where we're running USAC sprints and 410 sprint cars, you know, King of the West, California stuff like, I mean, like pretty big racing for what we were doing at the time. And I'll never forget the drivers who I had seen, right? I mean, while we were doing that, were phenomenal, incredible drivers, right? I mean, you're talking about absolute studs. You know, Brent Kading, Tim Kading, Bud Kading, right? All three of the Kadings, right? Like phenomenal drivers. Randy Hannigan. I mean, you know, Ronnie Day. Like some of the like huge names out here. Okay, Damian Gardner, like big time names out here on the West Coast where we were running. And I'm watching these guys 
all of the time because I'm out there traveling, you know, working on this sprint car team. And I remember I come back, all right, I'd left, I'd stopped doing racing and I come back about, oh, this a couple years later and I'm going to go see one of my, you know, best buddies at Silver Dollar Speedway. And I hadn't been at the track in a couple of years, you know, and so I hadn't really seen what was going on. I hadn't been following it that much. You know, at that time, I was full-blown, hardcore, just off my rocker, drug addict. I was all screwed up, you know, at that time. So I wasn't around racing very much. And uh, I was just going to see my buddy and wanted to catch the, the races. And I get there and I'm climbing up on the hauler and we're watching. And I go, so, hey, man, who's, who's doing good? who's, who's, who's knocking it out the park this season. And he's like, Larson, and it's not even close. And I was like, wait, I'm like, Kyle Larson, the go-kart kid. And he's like, yeah, I go, really? He's already in a sprint car. He's like, oh yeah, dude, he's smashing people. It's not even, he's like, it's not even close. And I'll never forget that watching that race, he just he stomped the field it wasn't even really a competition and keep in mind that is really saying something this was not just some like schmuck local dirt track show right this wasn't like you know marysville raceway park on a on a on a saturday night where you know uncle harry has pieced together his spec sprint and gone out to run it no like these are legit this is a an event like this is this isn't a weekly show I can't remember what it was. I think it was, if I'm remembering correctly, could be wrong because this was a long time ago, but it was, I want to say, Mini Gold Cup, if I'm remembering correctly, because it was the start of the season. It was like Mini Gold Cup or something. And he just put it on him. Absolutely put it on him. And I remember thinking back to when I used to watch him put it on people in the go-karts, and it was like he had, nothing had changed. He was doing the same exact thing he had done in the Outlaw Carts just now in a 410 sprint car. It was almost unfair. And I've never seen somebody other than him with that much just natural God, whatever you want to call it, God-given universe, genetics, whatever. But he's just blessed with it. The, the, the kid has got more raw talent than I've ever seen. Now, this is just through my eyes, but it's insane how good he is and how much better he can be. That's the crazy thing. He's only 28 years old. It, it's insane to think how much better Kyle Larson can be. Look at his first year in Hendrick. I used to laugh at people when they would talk about how he was a bust when he was with Ganassi. And it's like, I'm sorry, who was the last good driver at Ganassi? When was the last time Ganassi was like, oh man, they're contending for championships in Cup? Like, what was it? I don't know. Never? Right? Like, Ganassi's never been a powerhouse. You could tell just looking at him. Like, if he can win with that team, dude, put him in a Hendrix or a Childress or a Stuart Haas, right? Roush, Gibbs, get him in one of those cars and you're going to see something special. And that's what we've seen this year. And it's only his first season in Hendrick. He's not going anywhere, right? Like he's he's only going to get better. And for me, I think to talk about him, you know, 
to bring this back around as the next Tony Stewart or next Jeff Gordon, I think he has the chance to be far better than that. I really do. I think Larson has the chance to be something that we've never seen before. That I mean, I really do. If he stays healthy, right, like doesn't have an accident, I mean, it is racing. I mean, stuff unfortunately happens. If he stays healthy, if he doesn't get hurt, if he stays with, you know, good equipment, right, doesn't mess up, doesn't have any more, you know, bonehead mistakes, anything like that, I think Kyle Larson can legitimately go down as one of the top five greatest racers of all time. I mean, all around greatest race car drivers of all time. I really do. That is a bold statement, but I truly believe that because I think he is going to be beyond the Stuart Gordon level. I think when it's all said and done, we will look at Kyle Larson as part of, you know, like the transcendent three. Like it'll be like Larson, Foyt, and Andretti, right? Like those will be like, that's the list and nobody else. Okay. Like those are the, those are the guys and nobody else is at their level. And that's saying a lot. And obviously I'm talking about all around drivers. We can discuss all day long who is the greatest cup driver of all time, or who's the greatest F1 driver or greatest USAC driver or whatever. But in terms of just being able to literally hop out of a car and it doesn't matter what it is and hop into another one, dude shows up in a late model, never even raced one before, and just starts winning. Right? I know, I can't do that in sim racing, let alone the real thing. It's insane to just bounce from car to car like that. That's something special. So, when it's all said and done, I think he's going to be one of the greats. Now, obviously, we're going to have to see how things shake out. And it's going to start with this upcoming playoffs, which we are going to break down after the break. All right. So heading into this first race in the round of 16 at Darlington. Um this is going to be a pretty interesting race. Now, Ryan Blaney has actually got the pole. He just won the Bush Pole Award for the Darlington race. And if you look at the starting lineup, it's basically the 16 playoff drivers. I mean, like, that's really is like those are the first 16 positions. Obviously, not in that exact order, but you've got Blaney, Hamlin, Bush, Chase Elliott, and Alex Bowman. Those are your, your top five in the for the for the start of this race and then it's Larson, Reddick, Almarola, Harvick and Truex Jr. I mean those are all playoff drivers. So, it's going to be a really interesting race and this is something that I think you're going to see which has really kind of played itself out over the last couple of years since they introduced this whole playoff thing. Um is when the season gets to this point, these playoff drivers, I think this is when they really start pulling out all the stops. And when it comes to when it comes to the rule book in racing, you see, racing is so different than other sports, right? If you look at other sports like basketball, example, for example, right? It's like the rules are the rules, okay? In baseball, I mean, not only are the rules are the rules, but they have so many unwritten rules, you can't even keep track of all of them. Like, heaven forbid you hit a home run and you, like, look at the ball too long because, oh my God, you just broke an unwritten rule. You don't show up the pitcher like that. Well, here's an idea. How about you don't let me hit a home run off you, schmuck, right? Like, what are you getting mad at me for? You're the one that screwed up, not me. That's not, I, I didn't, some slight towards you, right? You served up a freaking meatball. I hit it 400 feet. 
right? Kiss my ass. Do a better job next time. Don't say I broke some rule. So that's how other sports are. Racing is in its own realm because in racing, you don't try to break the rules. What you do is you try to make new ones. You see, you push to the enforcement, not the rule, because you're looking at something that is so unique in terms of a car, right? And this is why the next-gen car is going to be so interesting to see what happens with that because you have so many components now that are being manufactured by third party. Like, the teams are just going to get parts, right? They're not building the cars like they are today. So, right now, they are basically pushing things to the enforcement. And what the really good teams do is they spend the season, right? Once they know that they get that win out of the way early, it's why it's so important. You'll see this with teams where they will be trying different things and then they'll shelf that stuff, right? You don't want to create a new rule that's going to take your, you know, your trick rear end design, right? Or that that thing that you discovered, you know, that panel that you've put now under the car that allows you to get, you know, 10 more pounds of downforce or whatever it is, right? Whatever thing they come up with, because there's always something. You don't want to get that taken away during the regular season, right? You want to save that for the for the playoffs. And that's why I like Ryan Blaney in this championship. Now, I don't know if he's going to win it, but I do like him to make the top four. He is peaking now at the right time. He has shown to be fast. Now, yes, he won Daytona. Daytona is always a crapshoot, but he won the race before that as well. And he just won the pole for Darlington. Now the pole means nothing in a 500 mile race at Darlington. Okay. It it matters not. (laughs) All right. How your car is after 50 laps is what matters. But I really think he's someone to keep an eye on. Obviously, Kyle Larson is going to be someone to keep an eye on. You can't have the season that he had and not. But it's no guarantee, as good as he is, right? After the, the, the 20 minutes that I just spent talking about how great he is, there is no guarantee that he is going to make the Final Four. Look at last season. Both Hamlin and Harvick dominated the regular season. Neither of them won the championship, and only one of them even made the Final Four. So it's not how you start. It's how you finish. And right now, every one of these drivers, their only goal is to make it to the round of 12. Right. Once you make that round of 12, it starts all back over. Yes, you can get bonus points and things like that for for stages and stuff for the cutoff for each round. But once you get to that final four, it is a winner take all. Whoever finishes the best out of those four is who is going to do it. That's why, in my opinion, why I think Larson is such a heavy favorite, because if I had to pick a driver right now in cup, to win one race, it would be Kyle Larson. It's kind of hard to pick against him. Okay? It really is. But I'm telling you, Ryan Blaney, keep an eye out for him. I really think he's got a shot to make the final four. Now, my other two drivers, because I'm going to be pre- I'm predicting the final four right now. Okay? Because it's really easy to just sit back and go, oh, I think it's going to be these guys, right? When you're at the round of eight. But with 16 guys, I'm going to be picking my round of four right now. Um, I'm actually going to write this down and see. That way we can see how wrong I am when we get to the round of four. Um, But Larson, Blaney, and then my other two to make the round of four are probably going to be outside of the norm. 
I'm actually going to pick Kevin Harvick. I think Harvick, although he's had a tough season um, compared to last season, last season he had like nine wins or something, something insane. He just dominated the regular season. He hasn't had a win this year, but I do think he can make the final four. I really do. I keep an eye out for him. And then the other one that I think is going to be kind of the the one to really make a run for the final four and then ultimately the championship is Truex Jr. So those are the four that I'm looking at. I do think last season's championship or champion, Chase Elliott, I think he's going to be on the outside looking in. Um, I know that's not a popular thing to to believe but if you look at the troubles that not chase has had but his team has had his team has been giving away points as fast as he's been earning them i mean if you look at all the dumb penalties and stupid things that they've had happen where they've just lost points chase elliott should actually be up in like the two spot right now like he shouldn't be fifth going into the playoff he should be like second it's ridiculous so I have a lot of faith in Chase Elliott. I think Chase Elliott is literally, I mean, one of the best cup drivers on the circuit. Well, I mean, obviously he won the championship last year. So obviously he's good. But I do think that for the final four, I think he's going to be on the outside looking in. I don't trust his team. As crazy as that sounds to have a championship team from last season, I don't trust him. They gave up too many opportunities this, this season. And now, right, when we're at, you know, nut crunch in time are they going to continue making those stupid mistakes or are they going to figure it out i don't know it's hard to tell but i am somebody who is like look i'll i'll kind of go with what i'm seeing and what i'm feeling and that's what i'm feeling i think he'll make it all the way to the round of eight um but i do think he'll he'll be dropped out there so we'll see if i'm right we'll see if i'm wrong who knows it's going to be fun to watch regardless um i'm actually looking forward to this playoff i think it's going to be pretty interesting and uh, I'm really looking forward to, you know, getting the playoff over because I'm I'm very, very anxious to see what next season is going to look like, you know, with the next gen car, if they're still going to run it from everything that I've heard. It sounds like it's still on schedule. But of course, you know, NASCAR, that's all I need to say. So we'll see what happens. But anyways, let's move on here. I want to cover a couple of other things. Um, really quick, just on the dirt side, because we've got some really cool stuff happening, especially right now as the World of Outlaws are heading back to Washington State, which is really, really cool. Um, you know, the West Coast swing we did not have um, last year, of course, because of COVID. And then we also did not have the early season West Coast swing. So normally they have two West Coast swings. Um, the outlaws, they'll come through at the beginning of the season on the West coast. And then they come back towards the end of the season after the summer of money. And, um, we did not get that. So really cool. I am definitely looking forward to going and seeing the outlaws this year at the gold cup, um, in here in Chico, which is about 40 minutes from where I'm at. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, it's going to be nice to just get back to the track. And then obviously me going to the world finals in Charlotte this year. I'm definitely looking forward to that, but heading into the, uh, basically the home stretch here. I mean, you know, the outlaw season is very, very long and daunting, but as we head into the home stretch here, it's things are kind of shaping up to be, um, I think it's going to be a pretty close run to the championship. You know, sweet is been, he is leading, and he's, I mean, obviously, he's got almost double the wins as everybody else. Brad Sweet's got 
I believe 15 as of right now. And then second place is Gravel and Hoddenshield, and they're both tied with eight. Now, the thing is, and this is where it, it's kind of my, my, what we just talked about with Ryan Blaney. Hoddenshield's been on a roll lately. Like, that kid has been on an absolute runner. He has been averaging, like, I can find the report here on the website, uh, a 1.6 finish over the last, like, three or four races, right? So, basically, he's averaging a first place or second place finish, right? Whichever way you want to round it. That is insane. Not only that, he has not finished outside the top 10 during the month of August. So through the entire month of August, he did not finish outside the top 10. That is incredible. I don't care how good of a driver you are to run that many races and not finish outside the top 10 in a feature is incredible. Because think about the races that they ran in August. It's not like they were running, you know, MRP, Placerville, and, you know, the I-80. Like, we're talking Knoxville Nationals, right? Like, we're talking huge events where a hundred drivers are showing up. So, I'm really looking forward to the to the run down the stretch here because I'm I really think that Hoddenshield has a chance of making a push for the championship. Now he is about a hundred and sixty points or something like that. Two or I'm sorry, sorry, two hundred and forty points or something like that. Yeah, two hundred forty, two forty six. And my math was off. He's about two hundred forty six points behind. He's in fifth. But if he can continue the run that he has had, I think he can make a legitimate push at it. Now, obviously, Sweet has been just incredibly consistent in terms of what he has been able to do. Obviously, 15 wins is a ton, but 38 top fives and 50 top tens, that's an incredible, incredible finish. So, it's going to be tough for anybody to catch Sweet, but I do think if there is somebody who can catch it as as catch him as good as David Gravel's been running this year, I think it's going to be Hoddenshield. I really do. If there's a driver who that's got a shot, I believe it's Hoddenshield because dude, when that kid is on, it is scary. It really is. I mean, he when he is on, it is scary. I will say this right now before we even end this season. Next season, Sheldon Hoddenshield is my pick to win the, the World of Outlaws Championship because you can see their improvement over the course of, you know, the last 18 months, right? I mean, they've just gotten better and better and better. And that is something that a lot of people don't think of when it comes to racing, especially something like sprint car racing. Unless you're in it each and every day, you don't realize the role that, you know, team and consistency plays. And I'm talking about the consistency of the team. Being a crew chief, for example, right? Or I don't know, whatever you want to call it, setup man, right? On a sprint car team, because sprint cars, you're, you know, the crew's like, what, three people? It's not a lot. But We'll just call it the crew chief, right? Being the crew chief on a sprint car team, 
working with that driver, that takes time. If you look at, let's use um, Swindell's, for example, right? Kevin Swindell. When you look at their best runs, the runs that Swindell has, his best runs are with those drivers that he has worked with the most. So for one, his dad, right? I mean, Sammy obviously runs that car a lot. But also when you look at, you know, when they've got Darren Pittman in the car, who's another phenomenal sprint car driver, but Pittman, someone that has ran for them quite a bit, even Christopher Bell, when you, when Bell was running the Pennsylvania, uh, speed week, you watch their growth from the start of that week to the end. They just get better and better and better. Driver crew chief communication is incredibly important, incredibly important. You've got to understand what the driver needs. If a driver says, man, the car's loose getting in, that could mean 10 different things, okay? It's not the sim racing world, right? Like like I that I love where it's like, okay, well, just move in the right rear and pull the wing back and you're good. That's not the case. It can be a multitude of, of factors in a sprint car. And a driver's got to be able to relay that information. And if you are working with a driver who is different than what you're used to, right? It could be a problem. And I'll give you a good example of this. So when I was working on the midget team, we had two drivers and we had, we had two drivers and two cars. Now, Terry Kays was the car owner at the time. And basically he was, it was his, his team, his cars, right? So he was pretty much calling the shots, but I'd been working for him for a while and he had taught me quite a bit. I was getting pretty good at setting these things up and knowing what to do. Well, we had one driver who was our consistent driver, a guy by the name of John Sorelli, really, really good midget driver out here on the West Coast. And he had won some races for us and stuff like that. It was very good, fast, very fast. Well, John had been with Terry for a while, okay? Well, the other car that we had, we would basically just lease that out. If you had driving experience and $500, you can come run that car on a, on a weekend, Okay, like you could buy that ride. And so we would get different people who would come through. Well, we had had a couple of guys come through and we had done okay with them, but not great. And then we got a driver by the name of Tim Barber. Now, Tim Barber had been actually running the Skip Barber cars. He was a road racer. He was an asphalt guy. This is the first time he had ever been on dirt. And so Tim was in the second car. Now, at this point, Terry's like, letting me handle a lot more of the stuff. He's still checking to make sure that I'm doing stuff okay. I mean, because at this time I'm 19 years old, right? I'm still, in his eyes, I'm a kid. So he's still double checking things and making sure that I'm doing stuff right. But when it comes to, you know, changing the setup, making calls, stuff like that, he's letting me make a lot more calls. He's actually saying, what are you going to do to the car? What do you, what's the car doing? What do you think it needs? Those types of things. And when Tim first started running for us, the first couple of races, it was really hard. Because not only is he a driver that is an asphalt driver, right? Like, I mean, when we went out and tested, the dude's never had the rear end come around on him like that. And now all of a sudden, that's how he's supposed to be driving. So this was a completely different world for him. So when he comes in and he's like, I don't know, man, the car just doesn't feel good. Well, what am I supposed to do with that? Right? Like, what do you mean it doesn't feel good? Is it rolling over too much? Does it not have grip? Is it just uncomfortable? Like, what do you mean it doesn't feel good? Okay. Like, that took us a while to figure out, like, hey, man, this is what I'm looking for. 
right? Me telling him, when you come back in, I need to know how's the car feel when you are entering the corner? What's it doing when you're on and off the throttle, right? Is it responding the way you want it to? Does it feel like it's got drive? Is it pulling, right? Those types of things. That's what I need to know. And for him, with me, it was, hey, man, this is what I'm looking for in the car. I want it to be free. I don't want it to feel like I've got to, you know, pitch it in at the flag stand just to get the thing to rotate. I want the car to be smooth. I want it to be controllable. I don't care that if it's the fastest setup, he's like, I want the thing to be to be comfortable. If I'm not comfortable, I'm not going to be any good. And that took us a few races to figure out. And then when we did, we were running top five, top six, top seven. And you sack races, right? This guy's not a midget driver. He's not a dirt driver. So it takes time. Now, obviously, that was a very small scale. And when you're talking about the world of outlaws, you're talking about the pinnacle of sprint car racing. So when you look at the, the NOS team, right, the 17 car, and you look at their competition, well, figuring things out can be a bumpy road when you're with the best sprint car drivers and teams in the world. And I'm telling you right now, it looks like they've got things figured out because they've been on a run. They really have. So keep an eye on Hodenshield as we close out the season because I really think, all right, I really think that he has a shot. It's a long shot, but I do think he's got a shot at the championship. It's going to be close because if he is, if he can do what he's done and continue on through the September and October under the world finals, after what he just did in August, he's got a shot at the championship. He really does. So it's going to be interesting to see. All right. So we're going to close out today's show with something a little bit different. So this is the Ask Tommy portion of the show. So for those of you who are just coming across this podcast, and thank you very much for joining me, um, and you don't know me from sim racing or anything like that, um, I have a business um, in the sim racing space, School of Sim Racing, and I've been doing it now for quite a while, and it's, it's earned me um, a pretty decent following. And I've had a lot of people um, who will not only ask me questions about sim racing, but actually questions about real life racing. Now I do have a background in that. I did work on sprint cars and midgets and things of that nature. So I have done it, but I get a lot of questions about, um, stuff that I've never made mention of before. Um, you know, I've had people who've hit me up and asked me for help with their, big block modifieds. I don't know anything about big block modifieds. I didn't know they existed <laughs> until they came onto the iRacing platform. So, um, it's just, it's one of those things that I get asked a lot. And, uh, you know, I always try to provide the best feedback that I can. And it's just, it's, it's really cool that people, um, feel highly enough of me to actually come to me for help in those subject. So I, what I did was I wanted to do this as something fun and depending on how many, you know, questions and responses and things like that, that we get, um, you know, we'll determine how often we do this, but right now we're going to be doing the pod. I'm going to be doing the pod two days a week. Um, it will be this week is because it's our first episode. We did it on a, a Wednesday, but it will be after this week going forward. It will be on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And you know, depending on how many we get, we'll determine if we do this every show. But today I want to do uh, 
a couple just because I got these um, asked to me. Now I won't say anybody's names because they have not, you know, they did not send this into the email to the official, you know, ask Tommy mailbox, which by the way, if you want to ask me something about the, about racing or anything like that, you need help with something, just send a mail, uh, email over to ask Tommy 35 at Gmail. That inbox is strictly for this segment i don't use it for anything else so if you send it over there i will get it i will read it okay um i might not read it here on the pod but i will read it and you know go over it and maybe i'll answer you back maybe not i don't know it'll depend but anyway so i wanted to do this and we've got um, a couple of really good questions now um these like i said are ones that were sent to me before and um, I'm going to answer them on here um, just because, for one, I actually did not answer one of them back um, right away. I sent the answer later, and I don't know if they ever got it. And then also the other one I just received, and so I'm going to answer that here. But um, they they kind of fall in line with, with one another, and um, it'll be a, a good way to, to kick off the segment. Hopefully, moving forward, I'll have, I don't know, maybe an intro or something like that for the segment. But anyway, so... The first one um, from, and like I said, I'm not going to say the names, but he says, hey, I'm going to be getting some seat time in a 305 sprint car. What do you use to set them up? And if and is that something that I just have to learn? Now, I get asked this a ton, an absolute ton when it comes to setting up sprint cars. So one of the things about sim racing is, especially the iRacing platform, which is the only one that I do is that there's a lot of stuff that they leave out of the garage area. Now, iRacing does a phenomenal job of simulating a race car. They really do. Yes, there are people on that platform who love to to trash them, to trash iRacing and talk crap about it. But when you look at sim racing, it's second to none. It really is, especially on the dirt side. It's iRacing And then I don't even know who else fills out the bracket. Okay, like that's how much better they are than everybody else, particularly on the dirt side. Now, that being said, there are things that they leave off. Now, when I first started doing iRacing, I hated the fact that they left it off, right? I, you know, it's like, hey, man, why don't I have my Jacob's Ladder on here? Why don't I get to block this thing? Why don't I get to, you know, why don't I get to do these different things? And after doing it for a while, I understand why it's not on there because the, that is, those are hard things. Those are difficult things. And when you start playing around with things like that, right? When you start playing around with the Jacob's ladder, I mean, dude, or, you know, when you start talking about things like timing your bird cages, most people have no idea what that is, right? If I'm like, hey, man, you got to time the bird cages on your modified, people are going to look at me like a deer in the headlights. It's going to be a blank stare. So things like that, I understand why iRacing doesn't have that on there. I really do. But because of that, when people are starting to get into this stuff in real life, they look at a real life sprint car and it's just like, oh my God, what is all this stuff? And this is a perfect example of that, right? What do I use to set them up? Now, one thing that I can tell you is this. Any chassis manufacturer worth their salt will have a setup guide for their car, okay? They absolutely will. 
So, I mean, what you know, Maxim, Triple X, you name it, whoever the, the chassis manufacturer is, if they are a good one, if they are a reputable one, they will have a setup guide that you should get when you get the chassis. Because, yes, you've got to, there's a ton of stuff that you have to do to set up a sprint car, right? When you start talking about squaring the axles, right? Squaring the rear end and the front end and leads and all that stuff like that. And then you're talking about blocking it and setting the ride heights and things like that. There's a ton of stuff that you've got to do. Even if the car is already put together and let's say it's been raced and now you just need to do the midweek maintenance, there's still a ton that you have to do to it. Absolutely. And so what I would do is, is I would find out the chassis manufacturer and I would contact them and I would say, Hey, do you have a guide for prepping this thing? Okay. We've got, you know, let's just, for example, we'll use Maxim because that's a, a name that everybody knows. Hey, I've got a, you know, I've got a 2020 Maxim chassis 360 sprint car, and I want to, you know, get this thing prepped. I want to get it all set up and done right. And I want to, I, I, but I need a guide. I'm new to this. Do you guys have something that I can use? Absolutely. They will have something. And if they don't, they will get you the materials to do it. 100%. I mean, you could probably find it online if you look hard enough. It shouldn't be something very hard to find. Another thing that you should be able to, to do is go ask people at your local track. Like if you're going to actually be running this thing at a track, go ask some of the other guys that have been around, right? Now they might not give you their actual setup. They might not tell you what bars and shocks they're running, right? And their wheel spacing and their stagger and those types of things. But in terms of, oh man, this is how we block it. This is how we square it. Things like that. Stuff that's more commonplace. They will absolutely tell you that. That that stuff's your local dirt track. It's not it's it's not secretive. It really isn't. I think your I think the pits at a local dirt track is one of the best communities on the planet. I really do. It's one of the it's one of the things that I fell in love with with sim racing when we started doing the you know school of sim racing stuff is the community aspect. That's what really keeps me going. Yes, the, the platform's fun. I love racing. I love sim racing. But it's the community, and that's one of the best things about dirt track racing is the community in the pits. Those who do it consistently, you know, every Friday night or Saturday night or whenever they're racing. So if you can't find anything online or your manufacturer doesn't have something, which I would be shocked if they don't, talk to talk to some of the guys who are you know been running for a, a while at your local dirt track, and they will absolutely be able to help you out. I promise you that. All right. Moving on. So the next one is similar but different. So this is actually a setup question in terms of how do I set the car up? Meaning, what springs do I use? What shocks do I use? Now, this was for a UMP modified. So once again, name withheld, but he says, Tommy, I know you've worked on race cars in real life in the past. And I know you talked about sprint cars and midgets, but have you ever worked on a UMP modified? We're racing at a quarter mile high bank track, similar to the one that you've mentioned is close to your home. And we're looking for a setup. Do you know where we could start? Thanks in advance. Now, this is something that I don't know. I have no idea what you should put on a UMP modified on a high bank quarter mile. But once again, I will talk about what I just talked about a second ago with the sprint cars. 
contact the chassis manufacturer. Every single chassis manufacturer has a base setup that they recommend, even for multiple shocks. Because if you're like, hey man, I've got, you know, chassis X, I've got a rocket chassis, and we run Penske shocks. What is it that I should be doing at this track? It's a quarter mile and it's high bank. What would you recommend as a base setup? They will absolutely have something that might not be perfect, but it will be better than just, you know, throwing darts at a dartboard and hoping you hit something that works. So contact the manufacturers. The people forget about the manufacturers. They, they want to help you. They absolutely want to help you. When you consider the fact that the, the dirt track racing industry, okay, that is a, you're talking about a very niche market, right? If you are building maximum sprint car chassis, if that business goes away, it's not like all of a sudden you can be like, hey, we're going to start manufacturing Honda Accords, right? Like it doesn't work like that. Like you are in this and that's it. So you've got to have that clientele. You want to make sure that they're happy. You want them to be fast and successful. Because of that, they will absolutely have setups that they will give you. They'll just say, hey, man, this is what you want to do. We had a a setup that was our go-to, our absolute go-to. If we went to a track and we were putting something else on that we thought would be better for that track and it wasn't working, we had a setup that we would just, I mean, put this on, man. We know that it's going to be at least good enough to work. It might not be the fastest, but it's comfortable. It'll get around the track and the driver can do the rest, right? It might not be the optimal setup, but it'll be good enough for the driver to get around the track, not be like, dude, I feel like I'm holding on for dear life because the car feels so bad. We absolutely have that. And we would use it at just about every track that we would go to. If in, Even if we were trying something that we didn't, maybe it would, maybe we would go to you know, for example, down to, you know, Hanford, Hanford's a a bigger track than what we would run up here in Chico, right? Hanford's, I think a three eighths of a mile, which is obviously bigger than a quarter mile. So we go down to Hanford and we throw on a different setup, right? And let's say, you know, normally we would run, you know, our base setup was like, it was really simple. You're just putting 10 and a quarter bars down the right, thousands down the left, and you would go straight five shocks on the right with four sixes on the left, right? Like that's what you're running. And You would just, I mean, throughout the night, you know, move the right rear in, move the left rear out, turn in the right rear, a turn, take a turn out of the left rear. And when I say a turn in and a turn out, I'm talking about the torsion stops. Like it was like, that was, that was the go-to for the wing sprint car for us. If we, if we had something else that we were trying and it wasn't working, we knew that we could put that setup on, we could block it, put that setup on. And then depending on how far we had gone in the, during the night, we knew where to put those rear tires in terms of spacing and how many turns to put in the right rear and how many turns to take out of the left rear. Like we just knew, right? So if we went down to Hanford and it was like, hey man, because this is a bigger track and actually we don't need this thing to be, you know, we don't need, we don't want it to rotate like we do at, you know, Silver Dollar, which is a, a high bank quarter mile. Instead of us running the split down the right, what we're going to do is we're going to actually just split the front and the rear. We'll go 10 and a quarters up front with thousands in the rear. And let's actually put the fives on the right. And for the left front, let's actually go with the four five instead of a four six on the left rear. Let's tie it down a little bit more with a three seven, right? Like we put something on like that. If that's not working, then it's like, all right, man, let's put the base on there. We know what we got. 
and you will do the same thing. I don't care what it is. It could be big block modifieds, UMP modifieds, street stocks, does not matter. Talk to the manufacturer. They will have something that you can use 100%. I guarantee it. So hit them up because whether you need to know how to block and set the car up for you know the maintenance each week or you need an actual setup to run out of track, they'll be the ones to get it. And once you do that and you get that and the more you start running, then you can start actually doing your own things and really fine tuning those setups to fit your driving or the driver's style, whoever it is. Some of you might be a car owner or a driver yourself. I don't know. But that's the thing to do. If you're lost, talk to the manufacturers. They can absolutely 100% help you and they will. They will. And if they don't, find a different manufacturer. If you go out and you spend, right? You go drop a hundred grand on a, on a complete roller and then all of a sudden you're like, hey man, what do you got for a setup? They're like, nothing. Then be like, thank you, sir. I'll never do business with you again because they're not worth your time. All right, so that will do it. So please download, share, subscribe, all that other good stuff. And we'll be back on Friday. Friday, we're going to be diving into, we're going to be doing a little bit of the USAC side of things and taking a look at F1. We got a big weekend coming up in the F1 world. Um, Really, really tight points battle right now between uh, Verstappen and Hamilton. Hamilton's only got a three-point lead over Verstappen as they head into the Dutch Grand Prix. So really, really excited. I'm actually really looking forward to that race, and I'm, I'm hoping this season we can get a different champion besides Lewis Hamilton. I really like Lewis Hamilton. I think he's a phenomenal driver, but I'm just wanting something different besides a freaking Mercedes. So we'll cover that this Friday and a whole lot more. But thanks again for joining me. And until Friday, I hope you have a good week. Take care.